So for those of you who are new, uh, who haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, the book of Psalms, which is a book in the Old Testament. And I think the Psalms are really important to us uh, because there are actually a lot of many different people who write, uh, who are authors in the Psalms, these psalmists, and they're trying to communicate a truth about God or maybe a truth about us or a truth about our world uh, that's really important uh, to us. And one of the things that they also do is they challenge our beliefs, they challenge our presuppositions, they challenge our preconceived notions of what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our world, and what we believe about God. And so far, we've talked about a lot of different things. You know, a lot of you have been here every time so far, and so you know what we've talked about. But we've talked about, uh, one of the psalmists talked about two paths in this world, that there is a path that we can walk in this world and live in this world that's with God, and there's a path that we can take that is without God. Uh, They also talked about how we need to be dependent on God or rely on God for everything in our lives. We also talked about how God's Word is really important to our lives or should be important to our lives. Maybe we don't see it that way, but it should be important to us in our lives because that's how God speaks to us uh, today, uh, speaks to us in our own day. Uh, And then last week we talked about one of the, probably the most important questions that a lot of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're going to ask, and that's why is it that bad people, or why is it uh, that evil people, why is it that they can somewhat get away, somehow get away with it? How can they prosper? How can they be successful? When I'm trying to be honest, I'm trying to be a good person, and I don't have a good life, or I'm not rich, I don't have all this money, I don't have a lot of stuff. And so we talked about that last week. Now today we're going to be addressing a, a kind of a completely different issue, and we're going to be in Psalm 121. And so again, if you're not there, 910 is the page number. And so like we've done so far, I want to start out with a question to sort of get us thinking about what it is we're talking about today. So the question is, is what do you do to feel safe? Or what do you do to feel secure? We all do things to make us feel that way. Now we're all human, and so we all have different emotions. We all feel happy, angry, sad, confused, uh, all those things. Uh, And so, but when someone comes and asks us, you know, how are you feeling today? Uh, You never say, I feel safe. You never say, I feel secure. Maybe in very dire circumstances, maybe. But more often, we don't, in normal conversations, if I were to go around asking you that, you're not going to respond with this. I mean, maybe you will, but more than likely, you're you're not going to say, I feel safe. But what does it mean to feel safe? I think what that means is that, that we feel secure. When we feel secure or feel safe, it means that we are free from harm or free from hurt from some outside force, someone around us, or maybe uh, even ourselves. And so what do, you, what do we do to feel safe? What do you do to feel safe? You know, for many of us, you know, for those of you who maybe haven't done this yet, you're just now here in Bowling Green, and so you haven't done it yet, but at some point you're going to have to buy car insurance. You're going to have to maybe buy, if you're going to purchase a house, you're going to have to buy home insurance. You're going to have to buy life insurance, maybe. Uh, Car insurance, health insurance, travel insurance. So like if you're going on a flight and you want to make sure that you get all your money back, especially if you spend several hundred dollars, you're going to China, you're going to Pakistan or something, you're going to spend a lot of money to go there on a flight. And so you pay a little bit of money just so if something happens in your life, you get all that money back. Now to feel safe, that's what some of us do. Uh, to feel safe, uh, all of us, uh, or maybe if you feel really comfortable with your neighborhood, a lot of us lock our doors at home. 
We lock our front doors, we lock our back doors. Every now and then, we check to make sure our windows are actually locked. Uh, to feel safe, if we find ourselves sort of in a bad neighborhood, a bad part of town, uh, maybe it's a little dark, it's a little, maybe the word now is sketchy, I don't know if you'll know what that word is, but it's, it makes people feel uncomfortable uh, in, in this area. And so maybe to feel safe, maybe you're just extra cautious. You look over your shoulders. If you're traveling with people, you make sure that everybody's there every so often, uh, just so you make sure that everybody's safe. And then maybe when you get to your car, you check your doors to make sure that they're locked right when you get in. Now, all of these things that we do to feel safe are actually very rational things. They're very good things for us to be doing. We should buy insurance. We should make sure our doors are locked. If we're in a weird neighborhood, we should probably be very cautious about our surroundings. But I think there's a big difference between being cautious, which I think is a good thing. There's a good level of being cautious that we should all be. Uh, But there's a difference between that and being paranoid, which is being fearfully cautious. And so let me kind of put that, that, that in with these examples here. So people who are paranoid or people who are fearfully cautious of their surroundings, maybe they buy insurance, not just so they could prevent what might happen in their lives, which is why we buy insurance, just in case something happens. But people who are paranoid, they will buy insurance just because they know this is inevitable. Something is going to happen to them. It's just a matter of time when their house is going to burn down, when they're going to miss their flight, or they're going to die, or they're going to get really, really sick. Uh, There's a difference also between being cautious and locking your doors when you go to sleep and being paranoid when you lock, you check your doors over and over and over again. Uh, When we lived in Wilmore, Kentucky, I... We lived on some property there. We rented it. And so every now and then I'd go, not every now and then, actually pretty frequently, I'd go out and make sure my car was locked all the time. And I was very paranoid about it. And so maybe we do that. Now, maybe if we're in a sort of a weird sort of neighborhood, instead of just being cautious, we're paranoid. We, uh, maybe, we, maybe we think, okay, in this area, this is where I'm going to get robbed. Or we pass a person of a certain race or a certain color. And we're extra cautious around them because we think that person, this is the day that person is going to rob me. That person is going to do something very wrong to me. Now, whatever spectrum you find yourself on, so if you're cautious or if you find yourself, you're very paranoid, you're very fearfully cautious about things around you, I think we all, whether, whatever side you're on, we're all trusting in things that are finite, things that have limits, Things that only provide a momentary uh, security or safety or help uh, in our time of need. You know, in these times, again, they only provide momentary relief from that anxiety that we all feel inside of ourselves uh, to feel safe or to feel secure uh, in our lives. Now, whether you're a follower, a follower of Jesus or not, you know, we all walk on the same ground in life. We may not all have the same experiences. Uh, But we all basically do the same thing. We all breathe, we all eat, we all drink soda, you know, not uh, the other stuff. Uh, We go grocery shopping, we go to sleep, we wake up, we drive to work, we drive home from work. So there are a lot of very mundane, very earthly things, everyday things that we do. But then there are also more serious things that happen in our lives. So maybe we lose a loved one, or maybe um, we lose a job. Maybe we lose a relationship or, or something else happens uh, in our lives. All of those are very common things that happen in all of our lives. 
But the real difference between followers of Jesus and those, those who do not follow Jesus, uh, and that's everybody else, is that it's where we place our trust for help or protection. So we feel safe or we feel secure. You know, if we're not followers of Jesus, we probably place our hope or place our trust in very finite things, like I just said, things that aren't long-lasting, things that only provide a momentary relief uh, of help or security uh, in our lives. So no matter how much that insurance policy says it covers, no matter how many times you lock your door, uh, no matter how many times you look over your shoulder, those things that you do, they're only momentary. They're, only, uh, they're not long-lasting. But the help we need in life if we trust in those kinds of things, if we trust in very uh, finite things, uh, things that have limits on them, we're always going to be disappointed. Always going to be disappointed in life when we trust in those things. Now, followers of Jesus, though, they've got to look beyond the things of this world and begin to trust in God for help in this life. Now, God doesn't promise that we're going to have a good life. God doesn't promise that we're going to have a carefree life, a problem-free life. Uh, but he does promise that we're going to have a, uh, a well-equipped life where when times in your life when there's grief, God can give you joy. Where times where you've, give, you've had grief, or did I say grief already? Grief, joy, uh, death, life. You know, maybe sadness, there'll be happiness. So God can provide those things in our lives. He can be a real help to us in our lives. And I think this is exactly where we find ourselves with Psalm 121. As we're going to see, the psalmist is going to encourage us to trust in God's help because it's not limited by anything that we find in this world. It has no limits to it, and nothing on this earth that's been created can limit the amount of help that he can give us. And he's going to point us to the Creator, to the Creator being God. He's going to look beyond the mountains, as we're going to see, what has been created, and look to the Creator for His help. That nothing on this earth can really satisfy uh, the help that He needs. Only God can really do that in His life. And so we're going to read Psalm 121. So if you're looking at it, you can go along with me there. And I'll give some commentary as we go. Not very much this time around. It's a very short psalm. Uh, So let's read it, starting in verse 1. So he says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains... Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so these are very familiar verses to a lot of followers of Jesus, quoted very often, usually when we're facing dire circumstances or very hard circumstances in our lives. It's a very familiar verse to a lot of people. And basically what he's saying is that I'm I'm looking to to God for help and not the mountains or the things of this earth. Then verse 3, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep, uh, will neither slumber nor sleep. And then verse 5, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now, he says in there that the Lord's going to keep you from all harm. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you're, not, you're, you're, you're going to have an easy life. Uh, there's going to be some hard things that are going to happen. But I think what he's saying is that, you're going to, again, you're going to have a well-equipped life. Again, grief, joy, sadness, happiness, death, and life. Those things will be replaced for that. Yes? What is well-equipped life? What's that? Well-equipped life? Are you saying that you will be 
Yeah, exactly. You got it. Prepped for life. That's, a, that's another way to put it. Then he says, he will watch over your life. So that's in your entire being, your entire person. And the Lord will watch over your coming and going. And so for us, that's really daily life. So going to work, coming home from work. But I think for the psalmist, it's another way of saying that no matter what you do, God is going to take care of you. He's going to be your help. Then he says, both now and forevermore. Now, I don't know what's more encouraging. that something like that, that God's help can begin now, or it begins now, and that's available to all of us, or that it goes on forever, forever, and forever. Now, for followers of Jesus, actually, you don't have to choose between whether something starts now or if it goes on forever, if God's help goes on forever or it starts now. It's all available to you. And for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, this is also available to you now, that God can help you now, and that help goes on for the rest of your life and even death, uh, life after death. Now, here in Kentucky... Um, I'm going to go to this next thing. I'm not starting it yet. But it'll be, give you a nice pretty picture to look at while I talk, and so you're not looking at me. But here in Kentucky, you know, we don't have, you know, a whole lot of mountainous sort of regions. You know, it's a very flat place. I mean, there are some, you can go to some, like to Gatlinburg in Tennessee, find some mountains, everything like that. Um, and so for us, I mean, I know some of you have probably lived in areas where there are mountains uh, around you, or you can... Uh, maybe you've seen a mountain up close when you're vacationing or something, or maybe you've just seen pictures uh, sort of like this, pictures that don't really do justice to it uh, unless you're actually there. But so the question to you might be what I think I would ask the psalmist and what he's actually trying to, to answer is that what do you see when you look up to a mountain? What do you see when you look up to the mountains? Now, most of you know I moved from, uh, when I, before I came here to Bowling Green, we lived in Montana. Um, and we, it's a really mountainous place. The city that we lived in, you could drive an hour each way and get to some mountains and hike into there. And usually it takes a while to get through it all. Uh, but most places there in Montana, you hike to something. Uh, so you go for a certain amount of time, you, you get to something. It seems like here in the south, you hike in a loop. And so it's beautiful in a different way, but you don't usually hike to something. It's usually just kind of this. But in Montana, you always hike to something. And now this hike that we did... Uh, it's called Steamboat Mountain. Now, I don't know what a steamboat is, but it looks like a steamboat. I couldn't find a picture of it. All I had was a video. And so I wanted to show y'all a little video on, on here. I'm going to show you here in a little bit. Uh, just what the mountains sort of look like. Now, it's got some language. It's got the word but in it. So if, you, if you're offended by that, I'm sorry. <laughs> so here we go. So, being in Montana, we know of the beauty of mountains. So, when I try to answer this question of what do I see when I look up to a mountain or look up to the mountains, I see beauty. I see how firm they are, how firm of a foundation mountains are. So, it could be a really cool place to be, a really cool place to go. But also living in Montana, I also know that mountains can also be a very dangerous place, a very arduous place, a very difficult place to travel uh, in. You know, a little known fact about me, when I was in Montana, I worked for this group called Search and Rescue. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with that, but basically, it's a volunteer group that if someone is lost, 
they call this volunteer group and we get dispatched or sent out to go find this person. And so I, was, I volunteered on there. I was trained in reading a compass, reading a map, uh, lost person behavior, all, CPR, AED stuff, all of this mess. And uh, I was sent out to go on this specific mission with a bunch of other uh, guys. And it's funny because when you, when you go to this group, it's almost like a bunch of like vigilantes or something. These are the people who didn't make the police force who are in this group. They all had guns except for me. So that's kind of how it worked. So, but... Uh, so anyway, this one mission that we went on, and that's what they called them, uh, we went to Nyhart, Montana, which is just an hour away. And this, in Nyhart, Montana, the mountains are really steep. They shoot right up. And so this one uh, call we got was this old, older lady was lost. And uh, the reason they were so concerned was because there was a bear sighting earlier. All right, and her trash can had been dug through, so something had gone through it, knocked over her trash can, and so they suspect a bear maybe had done something to her. And so they, didn't, they were trying to find her. And so we got there really late at night and we tried to hike up this mountain and it's a very, it was very steep. And so a lot of guys that were going with us, even though they were very built for this kind of thing, they were slipping, they were sliding, they were having some trouble getting over this mountain. I mean, I was breathing really, really hard. And so like, it was really tough. So we get to the top of the mountain and we are trying to figure out where, you know, where this woman, woman could be. And we, start, we hear a dog barking. And so we instantly, we tried to trace that where that is, you know, because it's not coming from behind us, it's coming from over us. And there are no houses over there. So we try to trace where this dog's coming from or where the dog's bark is coming from. So we finally find, we finally find the, the center of that, the, uh, of where the dog is, and we find the, old, the older lady who had, been, um, who had been lost. Now, two things kind of go in our minds. Usually we think we're going to go and re- we want to rescue somebody. We think they're lost. But we don't want to have to go recover somebody meaning we don't want to go find us a dead body somewhere out in the wilderness. And so we end up finding this lady. She was not in the best of shape. I mean, her, she was actually trying to find her dog. And her dog kept her company. She hadn't eaten since earlier that day. I think she had like a feed bag on her side here or something like that. And so she hadn't eaten her since earlier that day. She had a bottle of water, a small bottle of water, and it was very hot that day. And so I, I say all of that. Now, it was actually, I should say, it's a happy ending. We did get her down. It took us hours to get her over there. And I don't know how she did it, but she did. She tra- uh, traveled over that mountain, got on the other side, and ended up getting lost. So we did find her. She did re- get rescued out of the hospital, and she's all well and good now. But I say all of that to say is that the mountains can also be a very dangerous place, it can be an arduous place, a difficult place uh, for any one of us if we don't know where we're going, if we don't know what we're doing. Now, for the psalmist, I think the psalmist looks at the mountains you know, we read in the first verse, he says, I look up to the mountains. And I think he can take that in two ways. And I think we can take that in two ways as well. So when we look up to the mountains, or when the psalmist looks up to the mountains, maybe he looks at them because of their beauty. He looks at how majestic they are. He looks at how firm of a foundation they are. And he thinks, man, this would be a, these are a good refuge for me, the good place of strength. But then he could also look to the mountains and say, you know, it looks pretty dangerous. Maybe there are thieves or robbers up in the mountains that are going to try to, to trick me. They're going to try to do harm to me. And so I think he can look at it in two ways, and I think we can look at it the same way. But regardless of how he sees them, he looks beyond the mountains. He looks beyond the, what's created on this earth, and he looks to the Creator. He looks to God for his help. So even if the mountains are a refuge to him, a place of strength, he knows that God is stronger than those things. 
And even if he looks at the mountains as a place uh, where there might be thieves or robbers or where he might get hurt, he knows that God, he looks beyond that and looks to God, God who can conquer those things in his life. Now, the psalmist puts God's help in the context of a journey. Uh, Really, that God's help and protection are important for someone who is journeying through life. And for any one of us, if we're journeying through life, we're going to need God's help. And he was confident in God's help and protection because God had always watched over Israel in the past. And the Israelite people, who were the people of the Old Testament, God's people in the Old Testament, uh, they often spoke about it. So I kind of picked out some verses about this, and they, they spoke about it for a long time. And so Genesis 49, 25, uh, talks, it's, he's talking to a tribe of Israel. He says, Because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you, with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breasts in the womb. So they've always talked about God's help. Then in Deuteronomy 33, 7, he says, Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands, he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. Again, calling God for help. And then in 1 Samuel 7, uh, verse 12, that, uh, it was common for the Israelite people to name a place after something that God had done there. And so God had did something for King David, character in the Old Testament. He'd done something for him. Uh, he showed his, uh, his help in a very miraculous way. And so David named this place. He says, thus far the Lord has helped us. So there's probably a Hebrew name of what they called that. But this is how you translate it into English of what he called that place. So he was so confident uh, in God's help because the Israelites had talked about it. And so that made him confident to say that God was never going to be asleep. He was never going to slumber. He was never not going to be present uh, with all of us. Now that's in contrast to the other gods of their time. There were people groups in Israel that created other gods. And there was this god by the name of Baal, who was known to sleep all the time. Everyone's heard the phrase sleeping on the job, all of that, literally sleeping on the job. And so he uh, was always known to be asleep. And so when someone wanted to pray to Baal, the priests uh, or the leaders of their temples had to go and do some chants, say some words, or they had to do a dance or something to get Baal to wake up to get him to respond to people. And normally, it, or usually, it didn't work. Uh, so he stayed asleep and only woke up whenever he wanted to wake up. But God is in contrast to that. God is always awake. God is always present with his people. And so the psalmist tells us that we can be sure of God's help uh, in our present time and even in our own circumstances, and that he's going to be with us and help us in our whole life uh, and in our whole existence. And he's going to be with us, not giving us a carefree life, a problem-free life, a trouble-free life, but again, a well-equipped life, a well-prepared life, as Bobby said, uh, so that we can um, stand the test of time, that if something bad happens to us, we know that we can rely on God to help us in those circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're like me, and so I hate asking people for help. Anybody else like that? You hate asking people for help? Hey, me and Spencer had something the other day. I was like, can you help me? Or you said, can you help me? I said, can I help you? And you're like, absolutely, right? And I said, no, you're supposed to respond, no, I'm good. Remember? No? Yeah, yeah, okay, good, good. That's how, that was our conversation the other day. And so now I'm supposed to see, yeah, anyway. Anyway, going on. 
So I, I don't really like asking people uh, to help me with something because, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. But the first reason is because usually I have a certain way I want things done. Uh, I'm a perfectionist, so I want things done perfectly. And so I feel that people that are not me don't do things perfectly. Only I do. And I don't. I, I, trust me, I don't do anything perfectly. But that's how I feel. Maybe some of you feel that way as well. Or maybe, I think another reason is maybe because I actually have to admit that I need something outside of myself, that I actually need to ask somebody for help, meaning that I have to be humble. I can't be proud about it. I actually have to be able to show people that I'm weak and go ask them that I actually need their help. I think it's partially the last reason, you know, that I actually have to ask somebody for help. But I think... The other reason might be, and I think this might be for a lot of us, and you can agree with this or not, maybe it is true for you, maybe it's not, but I think because a lot of us have grown up in a time where we believe this philosophy or this idea, that life is what you make it. Okay, so life's all about you, and life, if it's going to go good or bad, it's all because of you. And so I, I try to research this and try to see, come up with a good definition of what this phrase really means. So it's a, it's a person that a person should accept the bad situations that happen in their life, whatever those might be, knowing that with your effort and with your wisdom, those bad situations can be overcome or even changed into something positive. So it's all about you. If your life is good, it's because you did something. If it's bad, because you did something. And I think this is maybe the idea that a lot of us believe, and I think believe we believe this incorrectly. Like, I don't think this is the right way to think about life uh, in our time. You know, in our world, we, when we go through tough times in our lives, we often go at these bad times on our own. You know, we don't want anybody else to help us because we're told that we're the makers of our own destiny. We are the creators of our own destiny. We determine ultimately where we end up at the end of our lives, good or bad. And so that means we become self-sufficient. That means we only rely on ourselves we don't rely on what anybody else can do for us. Sometimes we're the, this word autonomous means that we act independently. And we act independently because we don't think anybody cares what we do or nobody cares really about us. And I think this mentality translates over to people who are followers of Jesus. And if you choose to become a follower of Jesus, I think if you're dealing with this, it's okay if you are. But when you become a follower of Jesus, I think you would deal with this uh, kind of there as well. And it's okay. And so I think when we're, if we're followers of Jesus and we, and we have this mentality, I think we might think that we can't even imagine asking people to help us, let alone actually ask God to help us. Someone we can't even see. Someone who probably hasn't even helped us in the past. You see, when something bad happens to us or a situation comes up in our lives where we, we need help, we might think that God is far off, that God is distant, that God is somewhere up there in the sky, that he's not involved in anything here on this earth. We might even think that God can't help us or God can't help me to make that more personal. You know, we think bad things have actually happened in my life or in your life, and you think, well, God didn't help me then. Why is God going to help me now? Or maybe in your life experience, people have failed you. You know, again, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. And so people will fail you. 
And so maybe your idea of God is, well, if I try to ask him for help, he's going to fail me just like my neighbor or my friend did to me or my, my relative. Or we think that maybe God doesn't really care. We think that he's too busy out there with somebody else who has a worse situation, who's worse off than us, that he's helping them instead. Or maybe we think, well, God's more interested in people who are more spiritual, people who live their lives as perfectly as they can. So maybe we think that God is more concerned with them or that his care for us or his help for us increases or decreases depending on how spiritual we are, depending on how perfect we are. And so we all have different misconceptions or wrong ideas about God and his help and his care for us. Now, I've been reading this book, and some of you don't know who this guy is. Uh, Eugene Peterson, everybody familiar with him? No? Eugene Peterson? One. Yeah, some people. Yeah, some people are. He actually translated the message, if you know, if you're familiar with that translation, translated that. Um, he was in the news for something, but I think he recanted his position, so I won't say what that was. But this book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And so I'm going to read this part here, and if you disagree with what I'm reading, wait till I and finish it, because then, then you'll be like, yeah, I agree with it, okay? So it says this. He says, the moment we say no to the world and yes to God, all our problems are solved, all our questions answered, all our troubles over. Nothing can disturb the tranquility of the soul at peace with God. Nothing can interfere with the blessed assurance that all is well between me and my Savior. Nothing and no one can upset the enjoyable relationship that has been established by faith in Jesus Christ. We Christians are among the privileged company of persons who do not have accidents, who do not have arguments with our spouses, who aren't uh, misunderstood by our peers, whose children do not disobey us. If any of those things should happen, a crushing doubt, a squall of anger, a desperate loneliness, an accident that puts us in the hospital, an argument that puts us in the doghouse, a rebellion that puts us on the defensive, a misunderstanding that puts us in the wrong, it is a sign that something is wrong with our relationship with God. We have consciously or unconsciously retracted our yes to God, and God, impatient with our fickle faith or unreliable faith, has gone off to take care of someone more deserving of his attention. Is that what you believe? If it is, I have some incredibly good news for you. You are wrong. So the truth is, is that a lot of people have misunderstandings about God. We have wrong ideas about who he is and what he does uh, in our lives. But the Bible gives us a different picture of God. It paints a different picture of God. We're given a God who is always present with his people. We're given a God who is always uh, willing to help his people and a God who always cares for his people. And actually, we'll get to those in just a second. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably agree that God is always present. You probably agree that God is always willing to help. And you will probably agree, maybe you're a little hesitant on it, that God cares about every situation or bad situation, good situation that ever happens in your life. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you've talked to people who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, and you've seen in their life that God is present with them, that God helps them. But then maybe you wonder if how could God or why would God even care for you? 
How could God care about the situations that you face in your life? You know, it's almost like you feel like if you were to become a follower of Jesus and you were to ask God for help. And this goes for both of us, for followers of Jesus or not. Uh, Depending on, like, if it's a little situation in our life. We might think like we're going to like Mark Jessen to, I got a scrape on my knee and I'm trying to get a band-aid for it. Like you wouldn't go to Mark Jessen's practice for that, I don't think. Has anybody done that? All right. I'll be in your office next week. Generally not. not. So I think sometimes we might feel like if if our situation is so little, that's what we think, we think we're going to God. He's like a doctor and like we're asking for a band-aid for something that little that's happened to us. But God really does care about every situation, whether good situation, bad situation, big situation, or little situation in our lives. Now, for all of us, you know, this world does offer us help. But that help is really only temporary. It's not long-lasting. It only lasts for a moment, provides a momentary relief from the, uh, you know, that anxiety that we all feel in our, in our lives to feel safe, to feel secure, or, to, or, or when we need help in our lives. But the psalmist is pointing us into a different direction. He's, looking, he's telling us to look in a different uh, place for help. So again, he looks beyond the mountain. He looks beyond what's created on this earth, and he looks to the Creator. He looks to God for his help, because he knows he can conquer those mountains, and that he's even stronger than uh, however strong these mountains might be. Now, to put that in uh, modern terms, or maybe into a lang- language we all understand, he looks to God. He doesn't look to money for that help. He doesn't look to a person for that help. He doesn't look to a relationship with some other person here uh, or in our world for that help. Because he knows that all the things of this world are temporary. But God's help is infinite. God's help is limitless. And God's help, it, it has no end to it. It begins now and goes on forever, forever, and forever. And now remember, that doesn't mean that we're going to have a, um, a good, uh, excuse me, a trouble-free life, a problem-free life, a care-free life. But again, a well-equipped life, a well-prepared life. So when a bad situation does happen to us, we know that we can count on God uh, to help us in those times. Now the great thing about God's help is that it's available to all of us. It's a, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's available to you now and forevermore. If you're not a follower of Jesus... It can be available to you now and forevermore to the end of your life. Now, the New Testament, uh, the second half of the Bible, talk, uh, here's some scripture verses from there, and this speaks of God's help. In Luke 21, 18, he says, Not a hair on your head will perish. Right? In other words, that even the smallest thing in your life, God really cares about those things. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, talking to his disciples and to us, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So anybody who trusts in God, God is going to protect us. And then 1 Peter 2.25, For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer, so there's a capitalized, they're referring to, uh, to Jesus, overseer of your souls. Then Philippians 4.7, The peace of God which transcends all understanding, which is beyond our imagination, will guard our hearts, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So anybody who chooses to trust in Jesus, to follow Jesus, uh, he says, or these writers tell us that God is going to, or Jesus is going to be the overseer of ourselves. He's going to watch over us and he's going to shepherd us. 
He's going to protect us like a shepherd does a sheep. So now each of us has a decision to make. And we can either choose to live this life uh, without God uh, and continue to trust in the things of this world, which again are only temporary. The help they offer us are only temporary. I have limits to them. Or we can trust in God for our help. The psalmist reassures us that God's help is always there for us. And that no matter how long your life is, that no matter how hard your life is, that um, God's help will start now. And it's constant. But it starts now, and it goes on forever, forever, and forever. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much uh, for all that you do for us. Thank you that we can trust in your help. Um, Thank you that your help is always there when we need it. Lord, I pray for anyone here, Lord, that... um, if they're, if they're in a time right now where they really need your help, Lord, I pray that you would work in their lives. And that you would show them, Lord, that you are God and that you are trustworthy. And so we thank you, Lord, for your word and thank you for, for who you are and for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.